1996. Because they went off all at the same time, that would have hindered communication at the very time when they needed to communicate. And who is that? So that's Judy Edworthy. She studies psychoacoustics and alarm design at the University of Plymouth. And she told me that Three Mile Island is actually a really common case study when it comes to bad and ineffective alarm design. Three Mile Island is is very well known for having hundreds of alarms going off in a very short period of time. Now, that's an example where there was no alarm philosophy because that shouldn't have happened. So alarm design really matters. Yes, it definitely matters. (laughs) And there have actually been other major accidents where alarms that were supposed to help people respond to emergency, but instead they made the situation worse. Like the Deepwater Horizon accident in 2010, which caused a ton of oil to spill into the Gulf of Mexico. I didn't know that had anything to do with an alarm failure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, It turned out that a bunch of the alarm systems on the Deepwater rig had actually been inhibited for at least a year before the accidents happened because TransOcean, which is the company that ran the rig, didn't want false alarms to wake up the crew while they were sleeping. So the alarms were too easily triggered, and so they just turned them off so they didn't upset the operation of the rig. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. False alarm syndrome, basically. Why why do you think that um, the the suffragists have suffered in terms of history of not being known about? I mean, is it because in a sense they might be more dangerous because it was women from all classes, from it was a mass movement? There is that, but I think on a very simple level it's because the whole point of the suffragette campaign of violence was to grab attention mm. and, and was to be sensationalist and, and was mm. to obsess people and shock people, and it worked. Mm. But the other mm. thing that I, I was really struck by in this book, talking about, the, as it were, the, the visual artistic side of this, is we know that the WSPU had their colours of green, white and purple and all of that, but actually the suffragists had a completely different set of iconography and colours and so forth. They did, but their colours were red and green and white. Um, it's difficult when you're looking at photographs of this period, of course, which are all black and white, to recognise whether the sashes they are wearing are in the suffragette or the suffragist colours. Yes, exactly. Um, But indeed they did, and and if they could afford it, the pilgrims on the Great Pilgrimage were encouraged to wear um, a particular sort of uniform for walking in. They got through pairs and pairs and pairs of walking boots, of course, swarming with blisters. Um, And it's said, just as an interesting little aside, that um, because Mrs Fawcett said that they should wear skirts that were four inches shorter than usual so that they didn't get all caught up in the mud on this six-week march, that made the fashion after the pilgrimage of shorter skirts for ladies. Contractually, because Die Hard was technically a sequel, which 73-year-old singer and actor was offered the role of John McClane before Bruce Willis? <laughs> Stephen? Um, Frank Sinatra. Yes! <laughs> what is wrong with you? Oh, oh, oh. Ah, oh. Also, that casting would have been insane. Die Hard was a sequel. But it wasn't set. So what? Well, actually, I can tell you, Die Hard was based on a book called Nothing Lasts Forever, which is a sequel to a book called The Detective, made into a movie starring Sinatra in 1968. Absolutely. And and Therese Houston has has done really amazing work on this in her book, How Women Decide. What I was also very interested to see was that, in hindsight, women judging their behavior tended to be harder on themselves than men. So, you know, men did something risky and they looked back and they thought it was more brilliant than it really was. Uh, And women tended to have a much more realistic assessment of things. So something I'm increasingly preoccupied with is 
what makes our politics different from any politics in the history of politics is that we're the first societies in human history where old people outnumber young people and that this is I, I increasingly think this is the central fact. Four, twelve, fifty-six.